Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. foot homemade oak bar pour yourself a cold one the draft is around the corner we have so much to talk about the first thing i want to talk about though is our brand new sponsor 412 brewing visit 412 brewery today 847 western avenue an incredible lineup of brews i'm actually going to go through the list with you a little bit later on here in the show but i know craig is itching to get into our draft preview spectacular today on bucks in the basement and there is some trepidation some nerves what is going on right now with pirates fans craig uh most pirates fans are reacting in a way that if they don't pick one guy that you know you might as well just like close up shop so i wanted to get some uh experts in here i have brought in nathan Rody. uh he is with uh prep baseball and he has been doing this, we talked about this before, for around 15 years, has a lot more experience with me, has got a lot more in-depth. Nathan, how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing all right, man. Just uh, the draft is really close. Um, so we're just grinding away at trying to get some content out and get ready for it and, uh, you know, just uh, knock another one out. What I wanted you to do here, just because I, I saw the focus on the prep baseball, and especially with you know players like a, a Jordan Lawler, a Marcelo Mayer, a Khalil Watson, you see those names being like thrown around by Pirates fans a lot. And I wanted to maybe pick your brain a little bit to try to figure out here, when you guys are scouting uh, prep baseball players, high school baseball players, college baseball players, JUCO guys, whatever it may be, um, What's the difference in possibly scouting one of the guys who's actually, you know, gone to a college, a junior college, as as opposed to a guy who's who's at a prep school, who's, you know, in the traveling baseball leagues, who's, you know, just pitching for his local high school baseball team? What's the, the difference in scouting and maybe, you know, potential in grading some of those tools? Well, really what it comes down to, the biggest difference between those guys is risk. Um, so we can put, you know, we can grade out the tools. Uh, you know, there are ones that are measurable, uh, just with, uh, you know, like we can tell you that a fastball, um, you know, is a 50 fastball, an average fastball because it's, you know, 92, 93 miles an hour. Uh, there are other factors that go into that, you know, a straight fastball, um, that grades out as average velocity wise might not be average because it plays down or one with high spin, you know, plays up, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of variables with everything that we look at. But there's sets of tools, you know, the five tools that we always talk about. You put grades on those. Some are, you know, measured with, you know, a radar gun or a stopwatch. Others are a little bit more uh, subjective uh, in the judgment. 
Um, you know, we can measure raw power simply by how far the ball travels. Um, but then, you know, you know, there's, you know, how does it play in the game based on the guy's hit tool? Um, so all of that are the kind of the measurables, but then the risk factor comes into play of like, okay, well, if I take all these tools and put them together, like a Marcelo Mayer or a Jordan Lawler and say, this guy's got to be the potential to be, uh, you know, a 70 overall guy, which is, is plus plus like perennial all-star, um, you know, the centerpiece of a team. If he's got that potential, but what's the likelihood of get him getting to that potential? Um, you know, what are the risk factors? Is there something about him that makes him swing and miss a lot? So we're worried about him actually reaching that hit tool, being able to hit enough to play an everyday role. Um, and that's where things really start to, you know, get, uh, get tough and what makes this game really hard, not just to play, but also to predict. Um, and when it comes to those high school and college guys, the risk factor changes as, as they get older, uh, you know, a junior college guy might be slightly less risky than a high school guy because he's played at a slightly higher level. A college guy that's playing in power five is certainly less risky than the, the high school guy and the Juco guy because they've been playing a higher level of competition. So, you know, we talk about somebody's ceiling, but we also talk about a player's floor, you know, like their worst case scenario. And as they get older uh, in the amateur ranks, you know, going high school to junior college or high school or, you know, a four year school, that floor for the most part rises. So the, the risk factor is less for them. They're playing better competition day in, day out. So not only is it, you know, in a way it's making them better, but it's also giving us a better barometer in terms of judging them. Because, you know, I can go out and I can see Jordan Lawler and he's playing Texas in Texas, which is good baseball. It's very good baseball. Um, but he's also probably facing a lot more guys throwing 80 or 85 than 90 or 95 day in, day out. But if I go over to the SEC uh, and watch a guy for, you know, the now national champion Mississippi State uh, Bulldogs, those guys are facing, you know, 90, 95 every single day. So when you factor that in, like you're a little bit more confident in your projection of a player when they have higher level of playing experience. When you guys are, you know, evaluating say uh, Marcelo Mayer versus a Jordan Lawler versus uh, a Khalil Watson around the same age, around the same, uh, you know, I would say production, possibly tool levels. Some of them may be a little bit higher than others. How are you guys, you know, possibly like differentiating between, you know, the skill levels or the potentials of each of those players and where, you know, some of them might be maybe more towards their ceilings right now uh, where other guys, they haven't reached that that pinnacle yet? Well, some of it comes down to the physicality of guys. And a lot of those guys at the top, like a Mayer and a Watson and a Waller, um, they are still going to be um, you know, projectable uh, when it comes to their physicality and you know the ability to add strength, which will make those tools uh, either better or more consistent uh, down the line. Sometimes, you know, with high school guys, uh, especially, um, if they're a little bit more physical at that young age, they have less projection. Um, so that kind of decreases their value a little bit. The upside's not quite as high because they've developed physically earlier. So you're not going to say, you're not going to 
I guess, forecast that some of those tools or ability are, are going to get a lot better because they don't have as much strength or, or, or growing to do. Um, so that plays into it. Uh, another thing too, is like, if you're like, I mean, we're talking about this class and in this high school class and the shortstops at the top, cause there is, there's, there are several of them. Um, so like, okay, how do we split the hairs between these guys? One of the questions certainly is to ask is like, okay, well, how do you compare a shortstop in Texas to the shortstop in California when they don't play each other in the spring? Well, that's what the summer is for. We have the summer circuit. We go around. A lot of these guys play in the same events, play the same level of competition. So that that comes into play in that we can see these guys against similar competition the summer before their senior year. But then outside of that, it also comes down to the individual tools. Now, Jordan Lawler, you you might question his ability to hit in the future a little bit more than Marcelo Mayer. But I like Jordan Waller's uh, chances of staying at shortstop slightly better than I like Mayer's. I like Mayer's chances of staying at short, but I think Waller's are slightly better. So then you start to like look for those um, those details in the games and then you add them all up. And then it's kind of like then you have to weigh, you know, the the difference. Okay, like I like Jordan Waller, his ability to stay at shortstop. Uh, and I like his, his, I like his chances to hit. So if I've got a, a shortstop that's going to hit for average and a little bit of power and he's going to stay at short and be a good defender there, I might take that over Marcelo Mayer. And this is strictly for example's sake. I'm not necessarily saying this is my feelings, but like if Marcelo, Marcelo Mayer is going to move off of shortstop and be a, and be a guy that hits for average in power, then it's like, okay, well, on the defensive spectrum, do you want the all-star hitter that plays shortstop or do you want the all-star hitter that plays third base? Shortstop's got a little bit more value defensively. It gets down to, like, how do you compare apples and oranges? How do, where do you split the hairs? Um, and, you know, what ultimately do you see these guys uh, becoming and putting overall value on them? And then it coming down to what a team's – uh, you know, preferences. Yeah, and right now, I mean, in Pittsburgh, it's it's pretty much Mayer, Leiter, Lawler, Watson, and then throwing, you know, Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville, into the mix. Basically, a lot of Pirates fans are saying, well, we need an ace. The only way we can get an ace is, you know, in in the draft. And other people are saying, well, there's a lot of these high school shortstops you know, the top, and you know what? We just got Nick Gonzalez last year, even though he might be moving over second base, but we have Lyova Pergara, so why would we draft a shortstop? What do you say to those types of uh, comments from Pirates fans? Well, you don't draft on need in baseball. This is different than the NFL. The The guys that you're looking at, um, best-case scenario, are a year to two years away from playing in the big leagues. Um, so, you know, a guy that you drafted last year is still going to be, uh, at least a year ahead of a guy that you draft this year. Now, if you look last year, you got Nick Gonzalez, uh, and just for argument's sake, saying he moves over to second base, like even if you, even if he does stay a shortstop, the guy that you draft this year, if the high school shortstop, well, not only was Nick Gonzalez drafted a year ahead of that guy, but he's also got a couple of years development ahead of him in that he came out of college as opposed to high school. So the college guys move quicker to the big leagues. So, you know, you got Nick Gonzalez last year. Say you take one of the high school shortstops in 2021 best case scenario for that high school guy. If he 
you know, hits all of his developmental milestones and, and, and moves along at a, at a decent clip, we're still looking at at least two to three years before that guy's in the big leagues. At that point, Nick Gonzalez will have gotten his feet wet, and you might actually have a pretty decent idea of what Nick Gonzalez is going to be as a big leaguer. So, uh, you know, good situation is, oh, you've got this guy that's now forcing the issue at the big league level, uh, you know, at an infield position. We either need to trade him or find a way to work him into the lineup. And, you know, maybe that is moving Nick Gonzalez to second base so this shortstop can come play. Or, you know, moving one of them on a trade market and using that value to find something else that you need. So you don't draft on need in, in baseball just because of that development time. But if a need crosses with, um, you know, the, the potential talent of a guy, then yeah, you can, you can take a guy. So like, if you feel like the pool of players that you're picking from at the top, um, it's like, Oh man, we need an ACE. Then, you know, it's excusable to take the ACE pitcher at the top because he is comparable to the, guys that maybe you don't necessarily need like a shortstop uh, just for example's sake at the top of the draft. But if you say, if you go off of purely need chances are you're going to miss out on talent and um, you're going to pay for it down the road. Teams have done it. Uh, you know, teams have done it before where they've sacrificed talent uh, at the top to, you know, maybe save some money or, you know, because they didn't think they were going to be able to sign a guy or whatever. And then down the line, it's like, man, if they had taken them, they would have had an all-star. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry, cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms right now at creakybone.com. Wanted to get some experts in here to talk to you. Uh, lucky enough to get a few of them. Uh, one of them is a guy I've been reading for a few years now. I've uh, been doing this, I believe, for about six years uh, since 2015. Uh, Dan Zielinski III, uh, he is the founder of the Baseball Prospect Journal. Dan, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you, Craig. I appreciate you having me on. been following your, your mock drafts as they've evolved uh, throughout this process here. Uh, the 1.0 to now the 5.0, uh, just definitely looking at uh, how it's changed. For the first two, I believe it was it was Rocker, then it went to Lighter. Now we've got uh, Marcelo Mayer at the top of that. So Dan, can you kind of talk to me about how your process evolves uh, throughout the draft and kind of like how you're scouting these guys based on, you know, who the Pirates may pick, but also, you know, maybe who the best player is in the draft? Sure, that's a great question. I guess it just all starts with conversations, conversations with scouts, agents, even 
the players themselves and just kind of evolves as more information comes in as these guys play their seasons or participate in the MLB draft combine. So it's just a matter of gathering information and trying to get more educated on kind of what teams are thinking, what scouts believe are the top guys in this year's draft. And in this case, as you mentioned, it's kind of been a revolving door at the top of the draft. Guys have come and gone, but it seems like Marcelo Mayer has been kind of the top guy now for about a month. So it's just a matter of gathering those that information, talking to sources, and also just kind of looking at team philosophies as well, even though that doesn't always factor in year to year, but just seeing kind of where teams go in previous drafts and kind of also looking at who's the best player available on the board. Yeah, and I just want to refer to the, the draft what 5.0 that you had done um, with Marcelo Mayer, you know, projecting him uh, going to the Pirates, and you're talking about, you know, the process, the team philosophy. What has you um, personally having, you know, Marcelo, Marcelo Mayer at this point in time? I mean, we've got a few days here, and, and it, it could it could change based on what you're hearing, uh, what's going on and stuff. But, you know, at this point in time, like, what has Marcelo Mayer at the top of the list uh, for the Pirates right now in your mind? That's a great question. I mean, if you first just look back at Ben Sherrington's regime over the last two drafts they've gone with guys who are more position player oriented also hip first type guys and Marcelo Mayer obviously is a position player a shortstop out of the California prep ranks and he's a guy who just hits he's got five tool potential he's also a little bit more advanced offensively than I think a Jordan Lawler who's a shortstop out of Texas prep ranks and both guys are right up there in terms of the best prospect, best prep player in this year's draft. It's really kind of splitting hairs, but I think there's a little bit more upside when you're talking about a, a mayor because of his age and the fact that he also didn't have the strikeout kind of concerns Jordan Lawler did early on this year. So those guys are very similar. I think scouts overall prefer mayor over Lawler with mayor. Six foot two, 190, six foot three, 190, and just an above average hit tool. Also has some power, left handed hitter, and is, is a guy who's going to play shortstop long term. And I think that up the middle position is also highly sought after when it comes to these early picks in the draft. Yeah, and I want to go back to, to another guy that you mentioned that, you know, kind of piques Pirates fans' interest, maybe for, I don't know if it's the wrong reason or just a reason because of the actual farm system. And, and that would be, you know, Henry Davis, the, the catcher from Louisville. What makes Henry Davis like what, one of those, you know, I wouldn't say like maybe, uh, of course, it's not going to be like a Buster Posey. If it was Buster Posey, there there would be, it would be the one-two conversation, not the possible. But but what puts, you know, Henry Davis in that conversation for 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 1-1 one, one this year for the Pirates? With Davis, obviously, like you said, the Pirates have that organizational need, but I think that can be, if you're drafting for need when you're drafting this high or even in the first round, that gets to be risky and definitely can set a franchise back. But Davis definitely performed throughout the season at Louisville this year. He really maybe was the best college hitter this year, and he's a guy who is a well-balanced catcher, someone who offensively squares up the ball, uses all parts of the field, has power, has pretty good plate discipline as well. And also someone who has great strike zone discipline as well. And overall, there's a lot to like about Davis. Now he might not have the upside, a mayor or a lawler, 
have, but he's a guy who I would expect to move quickly through a farm system. He can stick behind the plate long-term, has elite arm strength. If he is at the top of your draft board, I can see why, because he did perform well this year, and there's a lot of tools to like. I think he's a well-balanced catcher. I just don't know if the upside's there with Davis as it is with Mayor Lawler. The the thing I, I kind of want to end on here is, is something that's, that's big in the uh, – Pittsburgh discussion boards, the Pirates discussion boards right now and, and all over social media is kind of like trying to peg uh, Ben Sherrington to say that he's not going to pick the best player uh, in the draft because they're going to go under slot and, you know, try to save that money for later on. Um, I just kind of want like your take on, you know, going under slot. Uh, the Pirates obviously, uh, you know, are going to spend their their entire bonus pool they they always have uh it's it's not a question of you know if they're going to do it it's more of a question of how they're going to do it so i just wanted to get like your take on like the the under slot and especially in a season uh this year where there is not that clear one one yeah that's a good question i know i've received that as well from pirates fans is who would you say is an underslot candidate? And frankly, when you have the first overall pick in the draft, you take the best player available on your board, especially when the signing bonus kind of slotted amount for the first overall pick is just south of $8.5 million. None of these guys are going to sign for that amount. You probably would save about a million, maybe 750000 regardless of what prospect you take. So none of these guys are signing for that full signing bonus slot value. So I don't see why you would take a guy who you don't feel is a top prospect in this year's draft, especially when the Pirates have the most, the highest signing bonus allotment in this year's draft, just about 14.4 million. So they definitely can afford a quality player that slides, whether they view Jaden Hill as that option, the right-handed pitcher out of LSU, or maybe a Joe Mack, a catcher out of New York, if he would get to the second round. I mean, I think they're going to sign and draft a quality player at the second round, someone who has a first-round grade that doesn't end up going in the first round. So I don't. if it was me drafting, I don't see why you wouldn't take the best player available because you're still going to save a little bit of money with that first overall pick, regardless of who you draft. So take the best player available, get a great talent, and then go – in the second round and get a guy who falls out of the first round. I hate to interrupt all of this draft talk with the draft around the corner, the Bucks in the basement, pre-draft spectacular. But look, 412 Brewing is our sponsor. I'm going through the list of all the brews currently on tap, Craig. Pretty Panda, a Session IPA. They got Little Rascal, a Raspberry Sour coming in at 6%. I've had the Cali Kolsch. It's incredible. I know they're really into brewing Mexican lagers there. They have a solid one in there, along with Kangaroo Britches, a Fruited IPA, and Blue Blazer, a Blueberry Tea Sour. So they've got some sours. They've got some IPAs. The Mesozoic Mine New England IPA is a must-have. And if you're looking to get knocked on your butt... They have an Imperial Mole Stout at 12.1% currently on tap. And don't forget, Growlers available. Get in there right now, 847 Western Avenue in Pittsburgh, PA. Say hi to them from us here at Bucks in the Basement. Not one guest, not two guests, 
three experts on our draft show. Who's finishing it off, Craig? Uh, talking with Joe Doyle from Prospects Live. I uh, basically got the 4th of July out of the way. We know that Adam Frazier's an all-star. We know that Brian Reynolds is an all-star. But on that Sunday, we got a Pirates game. We got the Futures game. And, of course, we got the number one pick overall. We've been talking about it forever. Joe, how you doing today, brother? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to, to chatting a little bucko ball with you. You have a high school guy in the top five. I, with the scouting and stuff like that, what makes uh, him jump over, you know, Lighter, who used to be everybody's consensus number one before the season started? Well, I think with the 2021 class, none of these guys necessarily did anything that would result in them falling down boards. I mean, Jack Leiter has had a sensational year. Kamar Rocker has had a sensational year. Both of them are, you know, worthy top five type picks. But what they're what what those two guys are, you know, pressing themselves up against is one of the better high school shortstop classes we've ever seen. Um, but you know, that also being said, there isn't like a there there isn't a like an Alex Rodriguez or you know, uh, someone that's just out of this world better than the rest of the class here. There's just a lot of really good athletes, a lot of projectable young high school shortstops that, you know, these college pitchers are, are pitting themselves up against. So we've got Mar- Marcelo Meyer, number one. Um, a lot of that has to do with the projection of the bat. We think he's going to be one of the best high school bats in this class, not the best. And Jordan Lawler's got the athleticism and twitchiness and explosiveness that Meyer doesn't. Uh, a much more comfortable bet to stay at shortstop. A little bit more question marks on the bat, but again, a, a premier type prospect. And then, you know, in, in recent weeks, we've seen uh, Khalil Watson really push up boards, and he's been in top three, top four chatter. So it's not so much that Jack Leiter has done anything not deserve the number one pick. I think Jack Leiter would be a fantastic first overall pick. But at this stage, it's it's a pretty talented high school class. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, it's it's just packed with talent. I mean, I, before this, we talked about that you guys had you know Henry Davis going to the Pirates at one point, uh, Kumar Rocker in the beginning, uh, Jordan Lawler popped in there in in some of your mock drafts there. So it's it's just basically uh, just shuffling the board. Um, and it sounds like from what I'm hearing from you that if the Pirates picked anybody, you know, within that top eight, it, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think the the margin between players one through seven. I mean, when you're talking about Meyer and Lawler, Davis, Leiter, uh, Kamar Rocker, I think you can throw Jackson Job, Khalil Watson, Brady House. I, I think you could throw into that mix. The margin between all of those players is so minimal that at that point it comes down to your scout's opinions. It comes down to your player development's ability to maximize the tools that that player has. And so I don't think you could, you know, I don't think there's a player in that list that you could say is a, is a bad choice by any means. Um, and in terms of mocking, you know, mock drafts until I'd say a month out, 30 days prior to the draft, they are in a lot of ways power rankings because the MLB draft is unique. Um, it's very uh, tactile. There's a lot of money that is manipulated, moving in different pieces to fit it all into this bonus pool bucket that every team is as- uh, associated with every year. So, you know, the Pirates have a certain amount of money to spend, and because there isn't a standout, surefire number one pick in this class, 
they're probably trying to cut a deal with the player that they like the most, save some money and do what they did last year, afford themselves the opportunity to go out and go out and get a guy like a Jared Jones in the third round. So, uh, or in the second round, I think. So that'll be something that uh, I'll be interested to watch moving forward. Yeah, and that's uh, that's one thing that's kind of you know popped up on you know Pirates Twitter, and and it was just reported there was uh, a Jordan Lawler uh, sighting. He was flying into Pittsburgh, and and it could be something, it could be nothing, and it could just be, hey, we need to have a conversation because you've been one of our guys, and we're meeting with everybody. Uh, so there's that type of stuff that's going on. Uh, really, uh, just as a quick aside, just so just so it's commonplace, um, Colton Cowser. Sal Fralick, uh, Harry Ford, they've all been out to Pittsburgh, um, and pretty much everyone in the top seven or eight has been out to Pittsburgh. You know, uh, I would say the top ten players in this draft, and even people beyond that, have been out to Pittsburgh for, for private workouts. So um, they're just doing their due diligence. You know, they're, they're seeing whether or not there's uh, an opportunity for a deal that they can't walk away from out there. But I certainly wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't read too far into private workouts at the top. I'd say that that's a lot of good information there. But I, I also want to move beyond the the first overall pick. Uh, not that the first overall pick is is not important. Is there anybody that you see um, slipping to the Pirates at thirty seven? Is or is there a maybe a, a position or you know just some players that you're looking at? that could fall anywhere between that 30 and 40 range that that maybe look uh, pirate-worthy, I guess it would be, maybe. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anyone specifically connected to the Pirates at 37, but if we're following the 2020 model where, you know, Charrington seems to really favor pitching, and I think that's a really good approach. I think Carmen Majinski was a fantastic selection. You know, I'm looking at guys like Doug, McK- uh, Doug Nikhazy out of Ole Miss, I'm looking at guys like Tommy Mace out of Florida, maybe uh, maybe an Andrew Abbott out of Virginia. Guys like this that kind of find themselves in that second round area uh, or in that end of day one area, I think make a lot of sense. But this 2021 class is especially deep in terms of high school talent. There's a lot of good high school shortstops. There's a lot of good uh, high school uh, thumpers and a lot of good high school pitchers on the right-handed side, especially. So, like if if I were the Pirates and I had that that thirty seventh pick, and and I wanted a thumper like a like a for for you Pirates fans like a Pedro Alvarez type, you know maybe you look at someone like a West Cath out of Arizona. He's a third baseman, six three, two hundred pounds. He might be available in that thirty seven thirty seven range. I think um, another guy might be like an Isaac Pacheco, six four, two hundred twenty pound third baseman out of Friendswood, Texas. You know, those are the types of guys that you could play at a corner. They can infuse uh, offensive talent into the uh, lineup right away. And then, you know, as you go further down the list, I, I mentioned the the high school shortstops. I think there's going to be a lot of high school shortstops taken in the top 70 picks, so maybe in the first three picks for the Pirates this year. You could see someone like a, like a Cooper Kinney. You could see like a Spencer Schwellenbach out of Nebraska. The one guy that I think really kind of fits that um, uh, Jared Jones type mold, I guess you could say. Like Carson Williams out of uh, San Diego, California, he throws 94 off the mound and he's a slick fielding shortstop. Maybe Braden Montgomery, a switch hitter, switch hitting outfielder slash pitcher out of Madison, uh, Mississippi. You know, those two-way guys, there's, there's quite a few interesting two-way guys in that 35 to 50 range um, that I think could certainly garner some in, uh, 
some interest from the Pirates. But again, every team has a different process every year, so it could be completely different than what they did last year. Joe, thank you so much for jumping on. I uh, can't wait to get you back on sometime, brother, maybe after the draft. All right, man, sounds good. Well, love you guys' show. Keep up the good work, uh, and I would certainly jump back on with you guys whenever you need me. It was a good time. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing but this.